The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Remain standing, take your Bibles now and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We do have notes for you. Now, uh, while you're turning there, let me uh, bring your attention to uh, an app that we're going to begin to use. It's called YouVersion. How many of you know what that is? Everybody say YouVersion. YouVersion. YouVersion is a Bible app that is tremendous. All kinds of versions on there. And they have done uh, a wonderful thing in allowing for what's called a live event. And so we tested it out this morning, and it's working tremendously, so we're going to begin to use that. Live events will have uh, notes. Like you have notes in your hand right now, but it'll have notes digitally. And it'll have all the scriptures that I go through in uh, my preaching on actually the app. It'll be a, a live event for King's, King's Cathedral and Chapels, Alaska. And from that, you can be, glean and look at your notes. It just helps you get around and get this, all the scriptures, and you can save it and print it and do all kinds of stuff. It's tremendous. So we'll be rolling that out. We're getting all fancy around here, huh? <laughs> you know, technology can be a great blessing. You don't want to be distracted uh, from your walk with the Lord by it. That's why we turn off all our notifications and all of that. Amen. Don't, don't get sucked into some Facebook mania. Can you say yes? But we're going to utilize that. So if you don't, have you not downloaded that and you're interested in, in using your phone, the app is called Version. You can find it at the iTunes store and in other places. Here we go. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father, David, and did not turn to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Now, there's a lot of scripture here, but for the sake of time, let me just tell you some of the things that he did, and we'll look at it in detail. He began to redo the temple, and in the renovating of the temple that had been run down, they found the book of the law. In reading the book of the law, he found out they weren't following it. He repented. And he restored the, the, he had the, the Passover, which was this tremendous Passover. In fact, it says in chapter 35, the very next chapter in Second Chronicles, that a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem was so significant and powerful that none had been kept like that since Samuel. It goes on, and I think we'll read from verse 20 of Second Chronicles chapter 35. Let's go ahead and read this now. Tremendous revivalist, tremendous man of God that brought renewal and revival to God's people. And then this tragedy, Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against... Kirkamesh by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he, that's Necho, the Pharaoh, sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I've not come out against you this day, but against the house in which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. From whose mouth? From the mouth of God. So he came to fight at the valley of Megiddo. And then the archers shot King Josiah 
And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I have been severely wounded. And his servants took him out of his chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had, and he brought him to Jerusalem, so he died. And he was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all of Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do, what you've done already. The release of generosity and worship that your people have done, that we've done today. People healed, people set free. For the freedom, that Lord, that's in this place, God, we're thankful. We ask now that you would take a coal from your altar. That as I preach, it would burn faith in the hearts of each and every one of us. Do you give us ears to hear and a heart to respond? Holy Spirit, come and bring and release living understanding to each of us about what you would say to us today on this first Sunday of February in this new year. If you have the freedom to pray in your heavenly language, your freedom to pray with your spirit, freedom to pray in tongues, go ahead and do that right now boldly, won't you? Come on, lift your voice and pray in the spirit. God, we thank you ahead of time. May the effects of this service be far-reaching even into eternity and the generations to follow should you tarry. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some have said that revivals last three years. Three years. I've been somewhat of a student of revival. Modern-day revivals, of course, revivals in Scripture. And you'll see that revivals had a tendency not to last. They don't last. They don't continue. Now, when I say revival, what does that mean? I think it was Charles Finney or perhaps D.L. Moody. I get them confused. He said, revival is like a man who's drowned. And he is dragged from the water, having expired. And methods are used to revive him. The water is brought out of his lungs, and he is revived, and he gasps his first breath of air, and he lives. That's a picture of revival. Many have said revival is signs and wonders. There are no signs and wonders, not revival. I would say that signs and wonders are a byproduct of revival. But really, I'm more uh, aligned with the words of Corey Ten Boom, which is this. The depth of repentance is the depth of revival. That really, revival is when people's hearts turn back to God and begin to call on Him. That they return to their first love if they've drifted away, or they come to Him even for the first time. I mean, really, revive. In many, in many ways, we need vival. In other words, if somebody's been dead, how many of you know they need life? But revival is a picture, really, of the church who's was alive, but now they've drifted and they need to, they've drowned. Now they need to be revived. And in revivals, it's about three years, sometimes five. Brownsville revival lasted five years. You go to Brownsville today. It's relatively empty. But God poured out his spirit. Absolutely, positively he did. That it was perfect. Anything man's involved with will not be perfect. Revivals in scripture, they have a tendency to wane and end. If you read the book of Judges, one of the messages of the book of Judges is this. That when God's people who are being tormented or being oppressed, if they'll turn to the Lord and they'll cry out to God, then God hears from heaven and he answers their prayer and he usually sends a deliverer. In the case of the judges, he sends a judge. And there were many. And one of the, the, the lessons of the book of Judges is whenever that judge or whenever that leader, whenever that revivalist, if I could put it that way, would die, so would the move of God. And there has been very few in fact, I don't really know of any that have gone multi-generations of revival. I've entitled the message, Staying in Revival. And from this text, we're going to find out, I believe, some reasons why revival ends. And when I say when revival ends, listen... 
Just draw a circle around yourself. That's where you need to have revival first, in your own personal life. And, and when our families come together and we come in corporate times of worship like this and there's a release of God's power, it's because you've been nurturing and drawing close to God at home. Somebody's got to pay a price for revival. And I believe we're having a measure of one. I know there's another level hungry for that. Anybody else? Could it be that from the life of Josiah that we could find insight on why revival ends? Because he was a revivalist and it ended. And it ended for some very real reasons. Could, could it be that we could get some insights on how to stay strong in the move of the Spirit of God? That it could even go to multi-generations? Let's look at the life of King Josiah. Archaeologists and their finds tell us that Josiah was born in 648 B.C. At the age of eight, eight years old, so that's 640 B.C., he began his reign. Very, very young. It's uh, interesting to note, if you look at the text with me, it's interesting to note that he becomes king at eight years old in the eighth year of his reign. So he's eight years old when he becomes king. In the How many, how many years of his reign? In the eighth year of his reign that would make him how old makes him 16 years old he begins to seek the lord at 16 he begins to seek god four years later in the 12th year is that right okay in in the 12th year all you mathematicians out there in the 12th year of his reign something happens to him and he gets on fire and he begins to tear down at 20 years old I've met some 20-year-olds that can't even look you in the eye and shake your hand. And I've met some other 20-year-olds that are very capable and hungry for God and on fire. 16 years old, he begins to seek the Lord. At 20 years old, he gets so on fire and begins to bring about a national revival at 20 years old. He reigned for 31 years, and he dies fighting the Egyptians at 609 B.C. at the age of 39, in the prime of his life. 39 years old, he dies. And I've often thought about the life of Josiah, and if he had lived longer, what would have happened for God's people? His life was, was taken from him, and if we read from the text, it's clear to me that it was not the will of God that he would die at that age. God had another plan. Look, God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for me. God's got a plan for us. But we can abort that plan through our actions or the lack of them. We can, we can cause there to be a, a shorting of revival, a hindering of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. What happened during his reign? Look at your notes with me. He rebuilt the temple and reestablished temple worship, got all the worshipers and singers together, fixed the temple, which had been neglected for generations. Sounds like America. Sounds like America to me. That America's neglected the Word of God. And America's neglected church. America's neglected the important things of the Word. Not only did he rebuild the temple and reestablish temple worship, but in the rebuilding of the temple, they found a copy of the law. And you can read through this, and I'd encourage you to. And when they found a copy of the law, and they read it, he rips his clothes. He realizes, we're totally jacked. We're totally messed up. I mean, we are so messed up. I mean, no wonder we're under a curse. And he brings about national repentance. Talks to hell to the prophet and, and judgment is really lifted from, from God's people. He repented. And the nation renewed its covenant with God. That's revival. When people begin to get right with God and they make a covenant with Him. He cleansed the nation of idolatry. He tore down the temples. Do you remember, uh, and if you want to turn there, 1 Kings 13, you can. I'm just going to make reference to it. 1 Kings 13 is 330 years before Josiah. 
and his reign. And at 1 Kings 13, it says that a man of God was sent by the word of the Lord, a prophet. We don't even know his name. And he travels from Judah to Bethel. He gets to Bethel, and there Jeroboam, who was the king over the northern tribes. Now, let me just give you a little bit of Bible history. History. His story. David had a son who took over leading Israel. His name was Solomon. No, no other man had wisdom like Solomon, except he must have cracked his head or something because he ended up getting married to a thousand wives. Duh. And in the marriage of a thousand wives, as is stated by the Lord, not to intermarry like that because they'll lead you astray. They led him astray. And he built these temples on what is called the hill of corruption. And in fact, to just show you how backslidden Israel was, the temples on the hill of corruption are still in place hundreds of years later at the time of this young king, Josiah. The judgment over Solomon, back to Solomon's life, the judgment over him, yes, he built the temple, provided for, for David. David provided hugely for the building of the temple. The temple was built, tremendous. He backslid with a thousand wives and, began to, and be, be, was an idol worshiper at the very end. And the judgment for that is, God said, I'm going to take, I'm going to separate, rip the kingdom in two. He said, but it won't be in your lifetime for the sake of your father, David. Listen, fathers, mothers, the way you live will affect your kids. Amen. There's generational cursings and generational blessing and the blessing of David. In the blessing of David, Solomon was protected because of the way that David lived, except for the issue regarding Bathsheba. And so Solomon passes and the kingdom is torn in two. And ten tribes to the north are ruled by a man by the name of Jeroboam. And the two tribes to the south are ruled by a man by the name of Rehoboam. This is history. Benjamin and Judah are the two tribes to the south. The ten tribes to the north, how many, how many tribes are there? Twelve total. Total twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve sons of Jacob. Twelve sons of Israel. Are you all with me? All right, and these are the tribes of Israel today, still. The very existence of Israel is a statement that God, is exi that God exists, and that's why the devil's trying to take Israel out. Because if he could wipe out Israel, then God's not on the throne. But I will tell you, it will never happen. It's just, you watch. It won't work. Man, I felt the Holy Ghost on that one. <laughs> So Jeroboam is, is not in the lineage of the, of the kings of Israel. And it, they're basically wiped out, those ten tribes. But during his reign, this is 330 years, raise your hand if you're with me, 330 years prior to jo, Josiah, he's standing at this altar, he's an idolater, and this man comes from Judah to Bethel, this is 1 Kings 13, and he prophesies over the altar altar oh altar he says it is this amazing prophetic word and he goes on to say there will be one whose name is Josiah and he will come and he will destroy the altar and he will tear down the high places and he's going to bring revival and the king reaches his hand towards the prophet to say to seize him and his hand shriveled up and then he entreated the prophet oh pray for me I'm all messed up oops he prayed for him and he was healed this is the Josiah that was prophesied 330 years before. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 45 and Cyrus, which I think is about 100 years before Cyrus comes on the scene. Isaiah prophesies there's one coming. His name is Cyrus, mine anointed, and I will lead him by the hand. And, and he was going to deliver God's people. And, and there was this guy that's born 100 years later. His name is Cyrus, and he's the one that brings the fall of Babylon and calls, causes them to come back home to rebuild the temple. Ezra, Nehemiah, those books talk about that. This is 
that Josiah prophesied 300 years before. Come on, somebody say it's God's word. Josiah was so passionate about God that he tore down every high place. He celebrated the greatest Passover ever since Samuel, the text says. Verse 18 of chapter 35, you can read that. He expanded the territory of Judah to include much of the northern kingdom. Now, understand this. The northern kingdom was was basically wiped out. And... uh, and in the wiping out of that and the diaspora, how many of you the diaspora is? Those 10 tribes are dispersed all over. They would, take, they would take from the 10 tribes and they would transplant them to different nations and then take people from other nations and transplant them into the northern part there of Israel. And they made a mixed culture and basically destroyed it. So jo- Josiah gets on fire and he begins to take back the land that was taken by those at the diaspora. Does that make sense? And he, and he regained much of it. I mean, this guy was serious. And even in the expansion of Judah and the great revival and God's people return and they make a that covenant with God and he tears down the high places. I mean, this is like one of the great kings. And then we read about this tragic death and the end of revival. Let me explain to you what's happening geopolitically so you understand really what happened because it's going to hit home for you. It's, it certainly hit home for me about how to end the move of God in your life, how to end the move of God in our church, how to end the move of God in our nation. And there is a beginning of one, but it needs to be cultivated and fanned into flames. What's happening geo- geopolitically, look at Roman numeral three was that Egypt was becoming a player in Palestine. They'd conquered Philistia. That's where the Philistines come from. That's the coastline. And if you have a a map in the back of your Bible, you know, you can take a look at that. And they've begun to come up. And the, the Babylonian Empire, if you look at two, was on the rise. And they were east of Palestine. And the Assyrian Empire, which is in the north of Israel, is falling. They're falling. They're failing. In fact, Nineveh Nineveh fell in 612 BC, and that's the capital of Assyria. So Egypt propped up Assyria and came to its aid, and, and Babylon is on the rise. You understand? So Babylon's on the rise, and Egypt comes up to strengthen Assyria. And what ends up happening is Josiah jumps in and fights against Egypt. Now, why is that? In the fighting against Egypt and Pharaoh Necho said, God spoke to me. And in fact, the text says from the mouth of God, it, it appears that God is bringing judgment. How many of you know he can use a donkey? He can use another nation. Come on, sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. You know, we we really need to pray for America. I I need to just take a moment and say, any nation that endorses same-sex marriage, homosexuality, and kills the amount of babies, and does the kind of perversion and stuff that we do, that we've done in America, they don't stay a nation. They are wiped out. And Frank, the, the, the frank truth is, you don't see America in the end time history. Well, praise the Lord. Why did, did Josiah end his life early? Well, look at your notes. Josiah might have been afraid that Egypt would attempt to take over Judah. He could have been afraid that Egypt on their way through is going to take Judah too. So he went out to fight against them as they passed through Megiddo on their way north. Josiah could have been aligned with Babylon. Maybe he he had an allegiance with Babylon, so when when Egypt's coming up to strengthen Assyria, who's failing, maybe he felt obligated to go fight against them because he was aligned with Babylon. We don't know for sure. Could have been afraid. He could have been aligned with Babylon. Nevertheless, Josiah is killed in battle. 
and revival ends. He said, well, pastor, what's on all that geo, whatever you said, geopolitical, what's that have to do with me? I live in Wasilla. <laughs> Let me tell you what I believe God is saying to us. All of us here, I believe in the heart of hearts. And even if you haven't realized it yet, every one of us here wants revival. Every one of us here wants a move of the Spirit of God, wants our family saved, wants, wants, wants deliverance, wants freedom, wants, wants healing, wants to see the, the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Every one of us wants revival, wants an outpouring of the Spirit of God. I don't think there's one person here who would say, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want to be whole. No, I don't want my family blessed. <laughs> I don't think anybody here is in their right mind would say that they don't. So every one of us are like Josiah, really. We're like it. We, all, we want our nation to turn. How many of you, how many of you love America? I'm a patriot. Amen. Listen, teach your kids to be patriots. You know, we have a whole bunch of youth. They're not patriots. I mean, I, I, I still weep when I hear the, the, uh, the national anthem. If I allow myself to, I'm touched. I'm moved by our national anthem. I got that from my father. I would stand with my dad at ball games. I would stand with my, I don't care if it was on TV. Dude, your hand is over your heart and you're singing and you take your hat off your head. I mean, that's how I was raised. My dad was a Marine. Marines took care of the flag. I mean, the flag is like a big deal. Flag was a big deal in my house. Don't you let that touch. I mean, a little one, a 4th of July little one. Don't you let that thing touch the ground, son. That's the flag of the United States of America. I'm a patriot. You need to pass that on. I believe America's heading for a great re release of the power of God. I believe that. But it might just come through some pressure. It might just come through some trouble. I want to see God do something in our generation that we have never seen before. There's an outpouring of the Spirit. I want to be a part of it, and I never want to cut it short. I never want to do anything to abort the plan of God. I never want to participate in something that would truncate what God's doing in my family, what's God doing in my life. I don't want to undermine what God wants to do. We ask the Lord repeatedly, God, help us, show us. In application, what God's saying to us today, first thing is, don't let fear rob you of revival. Don't let fear grip you. Now, there's the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's a good kind of fear. But there's some other kind of fears that are not good. Like maybe things have turned for you economically. And it's not as, maybe you're not moving forward like you were last year, or even last month. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Tithe. Give. Live in covenant with God. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. Now, those that are not righteous, I have seen them forsaken and begging. Yes. So I know some people that, that lived right and they're having a hard time. I didn't say you wouldn't have a hard time. Come on. He never promised you a rose garden. Hallelujah. There are difficulties. There are things that happen. But in the midst of those, he'll use it to expand his kingdom. He'll use it to bless your life. He'll use it to show off his, his wonders, even from glory to glory, if you're positioned rightly. But if you let fear grip you, it can make you do irrational things. It can make you have decisions that are just stupid. And I think he was gripped with fear. You gotta shift your focus from, from the fear to focusing on the Lord, to walking with God, to living for Him. Come on, He's He's positioned you in the will of God. And if you're not in the will of God, repent and run, take your little feet and run right back to Him and get right. So if you're in the will of God, you have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, if you're disobeying, you might as well put a bullseye on your chest and wait for impact. Some people aren't laughing. <laughs> Don't let fear rob you of revival. The second thing which is profound to me, beware of your obligations and allegiances. Oh, my goodness. You say, where did you get that from? The first point is that Josiah could have been afraid that they were going to attack him. It's true. Of course, you never see him talking to Jesus, talking to God about it, I should say. Of course, Jesus is the uncreated one as well, the triune God. But you never see him talk to God. But he's afraid. 
And it could be, so he was afraid that maybe that Egypt was going to come and, and whoop him. But maybe he had an allegiance with, with Babylon. Beware. Beware. Beware of your allegiances and your obligations. What do you say? I've been pastoring a while now, and I have seen this over and over and over again. And with tears. I've seen people come in, get radically set on fire. I mean, they're just in love with God. They receive his free gift of salvation. They repent. They get in the word. They start growing in God. And invariably, something will happen to sort of pull them off track. I've seen it with work. People say, well, I, I, I just got to get a better job. I want to make more money. I want to buy a house. Awesome. Praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. Amen. So that we can be generous on all occasions, as it says in the New Testament. And then what happens is the job grows or the business grows. So they get a business idea and it begins to grow. And they find themselves having to work or keep the obligation on Sundays and begin to miss church. And they begin to, they begin to do other things rather than coming to the house of the Lord. And so maybe they were in all kinds of services before, but now they're, now they're just catching once, one church service every other week. And their heart begins to grow cold. Listen, I don't care what somebody have told you, and you could argue with me later. I have never, never, never. I've been serving the Lord for many, for decades now. I have never seen somebody stay on fire who's not in fellowship, ever. I have no examples of that for you. I have lots of examples of destroyed marriages, destroyed lives, adultery, backslidden conditions. I have lots of examples of that. I have never seen somebody stay on fire who has no church, who's not planted. This lady says to me today, after the first service, I had a dream, Pastor. And, and, and in my dream, I saw two plants. And the Lord told me I was to plant. There's two plants because I've been going back and forth and I've been not committed to two churches. And God told me that in, my, this, in this dream, I had these two plants and both were green and things were good, but they both had no roots. And the Lord spoke to her and said, you need to get rooted. You have to get rooted, so choose. And she said, Pastor, I make you my pastor today. And this is now my church and I'm going to get involved. I said, hallelujah, praise God. Because if you don't get rooted, you, if you don't get planted, you don't develop relationships, come on, you're in trouble. Now, the, the, back to the work thing, and I've seen people elevated tremendously. Businesses take off. Come on, God wants to bless you. But there will always come a test of the palace. There always comes a test of finances. And when it comes, it'll try to erode your fellowship and erode your time with God. And, and I've seen people just all of a sudden fade. And before you know it, they're all about work. They're all about making money. They're all about their business. And they've drifted away from their first love with the Lord. And they've lost out. It's because they had an obligation. An allegiance was something that should not be in the first place. You put God in first place. I've seen people do it with sports. They live vicariously through their children. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at the exit sign right there. <laughs> you know, my son wants to play football. There's a major problem, and it irritates, us, irritates me. Every game's on Sunday. I am not going to bow down to peewee football and miss Sunday. I can't do it. Why not? Because Sunday belongs to God, and we're going to church. Now, I can tell you also, that I've seen families be so committed to hockey. I'm, look, I love sports. They put things in me. I, I mean, I learned how to get up when I was, couldn't get up. I learned things from sports that I just don't know that I would have learned anywhere. I had coaches that impacted me. I learned to put my flesh down. I learned, I learned to be a victor and learned to be a loser, which I don't really care for. <laughs> but I learned how to lose. Hey, look, it's good to fail every so often. Teach you some stuff. Humble you out. You know, we try to win the, go to win the championship and you lose. Well, you lost because you didn't practice hard enough. You lost because maybe you didn't nutrition right. You lost because you weren't united in that team that day and they were better than you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and you can go, 
Huh, look, you keep propping your kids. Oh, you're so special when, when maybe they're not working so hard at it. You know, it's good to, it's good to let your kids run with the herd a little bit, although you got to watch out and keep them from defilement. You know what I mean by run with the herd? It, it, it's good. I, I believe in that. I believe in that. Doing it safely. But when you begin to put sports in a place of church... I am preaching to somebody right now. When you begin to say, no, no, we're committed to do this thing, this hockey thing, this this soccer thing, and it's on Sunday, and it's also on Wednesday, and it's on Saturday, and frankly, we're committed to this thing. Then what you're saying is that sports are more important than fellowship, more important than church, more important than your family serving God in the local church. And I will tell you, if you do that, you will destroy your family. Oh, how do you know? Because I have endless testimonies of that too. Endless ones. Well, you're, you're offending me. Good. You need to be offended. He said, well, what do I do if they have sports on? Look, work it out, okay? If it's Sunday morning, okay, but commit to Sunday night. Or do something. Figure it out. Let, let the Lord lead you. Amen. I think he lost his life because he had, he had obligations and allegiances that were not of the Lord. Don't do that. Your obligations and allegiances can make you like an Esau where you sell your birthright for a bowl of lentils. Did you catch that? See, what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do in us is profound. It is beyond anything you or I have ever experienced. And it is going to come through commitment, through keeping our hearts right. See, don't stop seeking God for his guidance. He never prayed. This awesome king who consulted a prophet before never, ever prayed about going out to fight against Egypt when he got killed. I mean, he got killed. How come he didn't talk to God? How stupid can you be? I mean, you never hear him, and he inquired of the Lord, or you never hear him go to the prophet, or you never hear any of that. He did that before revival. He stopped and had some good idea. A good idea is not necessarily a God idea. You need to pray about everything. The Apostle Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and petition make your request known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Pray. 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 One of the things we're praying about is we're praying about moving back to two services. How come? It's a lot of work doing three services. Which I don't mind. But it, it's, it's hard work, and we're not afraid of hard work. It's okay. But I sensed that I really needed to lift it up to the Lord. I've been doing it for over a year. I'm saying, God, is this, is this working? There's new families are coming, but we've kind of plateaued. I'm saying, Jesus, what do we do now? I'm not into plateauing. I'm into reaching the harvest. There's so many people. Come on, you got to invite people. you got to get on the phone. you got to stir yourselves up to faith and good works. you got to reach out to people. Amen. And we'll keep doing outreaches and stuff. Are you saying we go into two services? No. You know why? I don't have any peace. I'm trying because I don't want to get up at five in the morning anymore. There's only one big problem. He won't let me. And so in that, hallelujah. Pray about everything that you do. Now, don't be a fruitcake where you say, well, I'm going to get involved, but I need to pray. And really, you use it as an excuse for inaction. And you say, well, if my goldfish jumps out of the fish tank and does a triple gainer and lands without splashing, I'll know. Then I'll know. That'll be my fleece. That's my fleece, the goldfish. (laughs) And you stare at the goldfish. Should I get involved, Lord? You know, I had somebody tell me, "Um, I'm not convicted of that. You're not convicted of it. Who gives a fig whether you're convicted or not? How about read the word? If the word says smoking dope is wrong, if, if the word says that, that, if, that adultery is wrong, if the word says that lust is wrong, greed is wrong, if the word says it, no matter what you feel like, it doesn't matter whether you're convicted or not. 
my gosh, how foolish. I, I feel like it's okay for me to be involved in pornography. I mean, really. It's because you're seared in your conscience. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good up in here. Yeah, you need to know the word. Amen. Come on, give me an amen. Amen. Come on, hallelujah. Don't stop seeking God. All right, my time has run away. That's the other reason I want to go to two services, Lord. I want more time. I just feel like he's smiling. Amen. Praise God. Love you, Jesus. Josiah never sought the Lord on it. Don't stop seeking God. Pray about everything you do. Don't just throw decisions out there and commitments out there without seeking the Lord. A clue here in the text is it says that Josiah disguised himself. Why? Why would he disguise himself if what he was doing wasn't wrong? Because he didn't want to be discovered. Worship team, would you come? Begin to examine your heart and find where you are today. Now, I didn't say sports are wrong. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Go Seahawks. Sorry. Love you. Love you, man. What's up? And I'm going to turn off the commercials. Be sensitive to watch out for the defilement and all that. Amen. I tried TV for a little bit, had it for my mama. We're done. I'm done. I'm done with that thing. I'm kicking, I'm kicking that thing to the curb. We didn't have it for what? How many years? Eight years plus? I'm done with it. Ain't nothing good on there. Well, there's some good stuff. Uh, anyway, we can get that another way. That's just what we're doing. Amen. Plus, man, they're ripping me off for the TV payment. Give me a break. I'd rather sow it into the kingdom. Hey. Amen. All right, you obey God. I prayed. That's what I feel like the Lord wants me to do. If he tells you to keep your dish and all that, go for it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. All right. Live holy. Pray. Live right. Be careful, little children, what you see. <laughs> all right. You know, they got all kinds of curse blockers and stuff. Do you know, you know that? They got some cool devices you can put on there. Amen. What are we doing? Oh, yeah. Ushers, would you come? We're going to receive communion. If you could stand with us and just begin to examine your heart. Did you get something from the Lord? Don't let fear run your life. Don't, don't yield to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Watch out for your obligations and your allegiances. Some of you have friends in your life. They're no friends at all, and you need them, as my father used to say, like a hole in your head. Yeah, you need to cut ties. Truth is, I've never seen anybody come to Jesus and maintain the ties to hell and continue to live for the Lord. You've got to, you can minister to them, you can love them, but you don't let them on in the inner circle because they'll rip you off, man, spiritually speaking. Begin to come, would you? Open communion. Welch's grape juice and a cracker. Very powerful symbols, though. Begin to come from that back, from the back row, and as soon as everyone is served, we'll, we'll eat and drink together in a worthy way. Jesus.
the cross, at the cross, when I first saw the light and the burnings of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burning of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now, and now I am happy all the day. begin to examine your life repent for where you've fallen short if you've been yielding to fear ask God to take it from you right now if you have obligations and allegiances outside of the will of God take a look take a look if you do and if you do repent and change it how does that work with work and stuff listen when I would go and get a job I would tell them, I can't work on Sunday, I can't work on Wednesday, and I can't work on, I can't work Sunday, I can't work Wednesday night, and I cannot work on Thursday night. And they say, why not? I said, because I'm a Christian, and I'm committed to going to church on Sunday. And Wednesday is a church service that I committed I serve, young adult ministry and other things. Thanks. And then on Thursday, I was a small group leader. And I was committed to doing that. And I had people say, well, you know what? I can't hire you. Then I go, okay. Thank you for considering me. And I would say, really? Well, that must not be the job for me. Can I tell you what God did for me in all the years that I worked out in the secular marketplace? He elevated me at every single job I had. Everyone. And I remember, I remember going to get uh, uh, the schedule change at a place I was at. And they said, you have to work Sunday. And I told them, I cannot work Sunday. They said, that, well, we can't. That's the schedule. And I just boldly said to them, if you give me the schedule that I want, I will be one of the best employees you've ever had. I know that's crazy, but that's what I believe to be true. Is that arrogant? Look, Christians are the best employees. If they work under the Lord and they keep their word. And, come on, they're blessed. Come on, some of the businesses that you're a part of are blessed because you're in it. Did you know that? People weep when we left and went into ministry and stuff. I'm Come on. And they gave me my schedule, and God elevated us and made us, you know, the man in charge kind of thing. God will bless you. Amen. Now, you got it all. We say, you mean if I have to work on Sunday, then I shouldn't work? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying Every day is the Sabbath rest. You ought to have one day, one in seven, that you take credit. It does not have to be on Sunday, all right? Biblically, we see that in Scripture. It's the day he rose again from the grave. That's why it's on Sunday. It moved. It moved. The Sabbath was Friday sundown, Saturday sundown, right? It moved when Jesus rose again from the grave. And you can see see on the first day of the week they would come together. It's all in the book of Acts and tons of places. All right, it's a new covenant, it's a new day, all of that. You have to find one in seven. Don't violate the Sabbath rest. You don't do that. How many of you know that Sunday's probably not, for my staff, is not the big day of rest? I'll just tell you right now. It's a big, serious day of work. And we love it. It's awesome. For right now, Monday is a Sabbath rest. I don't do nothing on Monday. You know. 
and there's exceptions. Don't be a legalist. If you have obligations that are outside the will of God, change them. If you have allegiances that are outside God's will, change them. Don't yield to fear and pray about everything you do. Can you say amen? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He took the cup and he blessed it. He says, this is my body which is broken for you and my blood which is shed for you. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So Father, before you, we remember that you sent your son, Jesus. We acknowledge him to be the anointed one, the Christ. Prophesied would come. Emmanuel, God with us, died on a cruel Roman cross and was raised again to the third day taking the keys of hell and death to all who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. Thank you that you've forgiven us. You've written our names in your book because we've repented and we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you now that you would forgive us for wrong thoughts, attitudes, motives. Come on, ask God to forgive you. Forgive us. We recommit our lives to you right now. Look, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, do it right now. Commit to live for him. You'll never regret living for God. It's the reason he made you. Forgive us, Lord. We place you in the rightful place as Lord and Savior. Lord, and we remember that it's by your stripes that we're healed. Wash us, cleanse us, heal every disease. Sickness go, infirmity go. By the power of the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb, we declare it. His broken bodies, 39 lashes. We receive your healing. We receive your forgiveness. And we remember you are coming back for your spotless church. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink together. Somebody say praise the Lord. Come on, can you say praise the Lord today? Would you take someone by the hand? Come on, reach across, take someone by the hand. We'll close our service. If you've got children up there, I went a little bit long, so it makes a kind of a log jam for our 12 o'clock. If you would be certain to uh, go get your kids right away, that would help us out. Father, we thank you for what you've done today. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance to them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. One more thing. Tonight, we'll be showing the State of the Church Address. It is the prophetic word over King's Cathedral and Chapels worldwide. Dr. Morocco will be preaching it on video. For those of you home, you can tune in or you can be here. Service starts at 6 o'clock. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.